0: Greetings, listeners. It is I, D.B. Spitzer, once again here to talk to you about spooky stories, mystic far-off places, the distant future, the near past, and every place in between, and the literature involved, Black Clock Audio Tales, a admiration and exploration of spooky books and wacky sci-fi, and all kinds of stuff like that. Cosmic horror, ooh, and spookily dookly folklore. Ghost stories and whatnot. Okay, um, my voice hurts doing that. Thank you for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Today we're going to be hearing from David Heath, and also an interview with Ken Hite, talking about uh, Jules Verne. And thank you for listening. This show, is always, is brought to you by... Bunnyslippers.com and founditemclothing.com. I am wearing my badass Chico's Bail Bond shirt. It's my Bad News Bear shirt. I've got three of them. And uh, yeah, I, I wear them all the time. They're kind of like work shirts for me now at this point in time. And I have a, you know, people, people spot it, and they're like, Hey, Chico's Bail Bonds! And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, awesome, I love that movie. I'm like, I know, it's an awesome movie. I don't know if it necessarily holds up. A lot of movies don't necessarily hold up. But, you know, if you have a favorite movie, you have a favorite movie. And there's stuff that I don't necessarily love about Bad News Bears, and there's things that I don't necessarily love about uh, Revenge of the Nerds. But those movies had a special place in my childhood, just like uh, Star Wars or anything else. Uh, terrible, terrible movies that I watched on cable. I don't know, early, early 80s. Uh, completely unsupervised for hours because, you know, that's what childhood in the 80s was. Unsupervised cable, whatnot. Anyway, remember those days. Found Adam clothing. So we're talking about Jules Verne. And we're talking about Jules Verne with Ken Haidt. But before that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, if you want to talk to us about anything, go to PGTTCM.com. Contact us through that. You can find out about Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, a podcast that I'm working on with David Heath from Dave's Corner of the Universe, or it's what I like to call Dave's Corner of the Podcast when he appears on that. Uh, Bits like this, and also, uh, yeah, you can find out everything you need to know about PGTTCM. Do you want to get a show on with us? Do you want to do something with us? Hey, let let, let us know. Do you do you have original? Uh, spooky literature that you want people to hear. Do you want to read a story for us? Record something. Send it into us. Find out how to send it into us. Do you want some stickers? I still have a grip of stickers I need to get rid of, and I've got new stickers coming out too that have nothing to do with the podcast. Just kind of spooky, kind of King and Yellow art-inspired kind of stuff that I did, just, just for fun. All right, here we are with Ken Height. More than just for fun for the Jules Verne event. Let's go.
1: My name is David Heath and uh, I run a blog called Dave's Corner of the Universe I run my own blog called uh, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans and today we're going to talk about Jules Verne. Um, In 2002 there was this real fun sort of steampunk TV show called The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne. You know, I only think it went a year, you know, it had uh, Jules Verne teaming up with uh, Phineas Fogg, who's his English agent, and his cousin Rebecca, who's also an English super spy, and, and it had a, a Passepartout as uh, Phineas Fogg's uh, valet, and they went around, you know, the 1860s in a flying machine fighting vampires with, you know, steam-powered broomsticks and and spider gods and underground digging machines. It wasn't great TV, but it was just fun. Uh, And like I said, it was called The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne. Well, today we're going to talk about the real secret life of Jules Verne, and there's no spider gods, there's no, you know, proto-James Bond, there's no flying machines per se, but there is cousin-loving and uncle-shooting, lots of boats, and books published nearly a century after the author's death, and at the heart of it, is two men's different view on whether or not technology was beneficial for society. Now, Jules Verne is the OG of science fiction. More than one source has said that he invented it. Not until H.G. Wells, 30 years down the road, are we going to find someone so influential in bringing science fiction to the masses, and if you took a blind survey and just asked 100 people if they knew who Jules Verne was, maybe not anything about him, but knew who he was, I would say pretty much 98, 99, maybe 100% would say the name. Maybe three quarters to half the people could name a book or two that he wrote, and maybe 25% of the general population, at least in the United States. Has read a Jules Verne book But we don't know very much about him As a person Not that it's hidden, it's there, it's on the internet There's books It's just, well The average American probably doesn't know a lot about The average 19th century French writer With Jules Verne maybe being the exception Knowing more than, than average But here's the thing Jules Verne definitely wrote for adults. It's not that his books or stories were racy, they were just... they included things like war, and and pirates, and violence. So they were definitely books aimed for adults. But even during his lifetime, science fiction was looked down at in the United States. So even back then, The books were dumbed down. They were brought to a level that children could understand them. His writings were made into children's stories. And even today, I would say it's much easier to get a translation that is aimed at children of his stories than a more faithful English translation of what he wrote. So that's one way Americans just don't know Jules Verne like the way that the people of France do. So as Jules grew up, his family was upper middle class, lower upper class. His father was a successful lawyer and he wanted his son to be a lawyer too. And from a very young age, Jules wanted to write and that just seemed to his father just a bad idea because In the middle of the 19th century France, authors starved to death unless they were very special authors. And from his poetry at a young age, his family didn't think he was very special at writing. Even Verne himself admits that he was a pretty bad poet when he was... He also had a habit of falling in love. He had a habit of falling in love with girls and women who didn't fall in love with him. And he, he, he really fell hard for his uh, cousin, uh, Caroline Trozon. They would attend dances together. Uh, he would write bad poetry for her. Um, but he's going to be devastated when he's 19 and she's 20 and she marries this 40-year-old guy. And he's going to find this over and over again is that he's going to crush madly on this girl who is going to leave him or reject him for somebody who had a future. Eventually, his dad and Jules Verne are going to come to this compromise. is Jules wants to go to Paris. His dad says, okay, you can go to Paris, we will support you, but you've got to go to law school. Jules Verne hated this idea, but you know what? To go to the city of his dreams, it was worth it. And so he and his roommate, they were very poor. They would have like one suit that they would share between the two of them. Uh, He would meet some famous people, uh, Victor Hugo. Alexander de Moss will feed him, who probably prevents him from starving during this time. While he's in Paris, there's literally a revolution. The the Second French Republic is going to crash. Now, he's not going to be part of this. He's not going to be, you know, shooting at people, but he's going to look out the window and he's going to see a revolution going. Despite when all this is happening, He finally finds a woman to marry him, who loves him and is willing to take this risk on this flighty, dreamy kid. But they've still got to, they've got to live. So Vern basically drops out of law school, which he hated, and he takes a job that he thinks can support his family and be kind of a compromise that his dad might think kind of respectable so he becomes a stockbroker. He hates that job too. So he writes at night, does his job during the daytime, and we're gonna kind of skip ahead until he becomes famous. And he becomes really famous. But we're gonna skip ahead to a few years ago. Um, A group of us were gathered for dinner, and someone was basically debating that American style writing is a downer, and that sort of the American theme that death equals redemption, and that the only way a character can redeem themselves is to die at the end of the book, is alien to European writing. I don't know, but they've got a point that, you know, we've got this sort of Theodore Dreiser, American tragedy DNA in American literature. And his point is, look, you know, I don't see Jules Verne writing depressing stories. And he turned to me to back him up, and I had to tell him what I'm about to tell you, and it completely shot him down. Verne is a very depressed human being. There's going to be some things that happen to his life. And before we get into how that depression affects him, uh, let's sort of discuss two major events. One is he is going to have a son named Michel. Michael in French. And he loves Michel. But apparently Michel is this holy terror. In fact, he ends up having Michael sent to this basically voluntary Half reform school, half prison, you know, to try to get Michael back on the straight and narrow. And there's going to be a big rift between father and son, and that's going to break Jules Verne's heart. He actually names his boat the, the Saint Michel, not after Saint Michael, not after Michael the Archangel. He names his boat after his son, who he's distanced from. Then something else is going to happen. When he's older, Jules Verne is going to be shot by his nephew, Gaston. Why does Gaston shoot him? Bluntly, the guy's crazy. So he shoots. Jules Verne's coming back from something one night from, from a walk. And Gaston jumps out of the bushes. He shoots once and misses. Shoots a second time, hits him in the leg. Runs off. So after that moment, Jules Verne is going to walk with a limp. He is going to um, never completely recover from being shot by his nephew. But something good does come out of this. It is the event that reunites Jules Verne with his estranged son. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. But I want to sort of talk about how we see Jules Verne's books now as very optimistic and sort of pro-technology and what man can do with technology, and that really wasn't how Jules Verne felt. And not that I am capable or qualified to psychoanalyze a person who died 125 years ago, but despite fight, or including because being his fight with his son, being shot by his nephew, Jules Verne was probably clinically depressed. I don't think it's that big a, a jump there. And as such, if not depressed, Verne had this downer view worldview. And he came into conflict with someone who had a positive view, and that's Pierre Jules Hetzel Hetzel is going to spend most of his adult life editing Jules Verne I would almost say that he put so much into it he's almost a co-writer and Hetzel is very insistent that Verne's stories are going to have to have a sort of positive spin towards technology, positive spin towards humanity, where it's going, economically viable. And so he gets and pesters Vern over and over to rewrite his stories, to have a positive spin, to be these stories that we could easily convert into children's stories, because they say that mankind and technology is better for the world than against it. He also has to sort of get involved in some of the nuts and bolts of the story. So originally, Captain Nemo was going to be a Polish noble whose lands were taken away from from the Tsar. But Hetzel, he realizes that France is now an ally with Russia. And there could be some political, there could be economic blowback. So he, he forces Verne to change him from a Pole to an Indian who has a beef against the English Empire. In some ways, I think that makes a better story, but that, that part is Hetzel's. And they, they debate and argue, but they're incredible friends and they're incredible collaborators. And, you know, Hetzel, right now, he's either looked at, you know, the guy who saved Jules Verne's writings, or this terrible person that put this muzzle on a genius. So, Hetzel, though, dies. And Verne is still writing. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't have Hetzel forcing him to write these sort of sunny endings. He can write some rather. Depressing stories. So the the gun club, the group of art, American artilleryists who who uh, built the giant super cannon that shoots a, a bullet that, that takes them around the moon and back, they're the heroes, you know, and uh, from the moon and back. But in you know the men who who they are kind of more like. Lex Luther capitalists and their attempt to to change the orbit of the earth to make America have a better, you know, temperature and environment, but not worried that it's gonna melt the, the South Pole and flood out all these other countries. So even the same characters are all of a sudden getting this dark world view that Hetzel basically forced Verne from showing the world, and the uh, best example of Downer Verne is probably Paris of the 20th Century, not even published until you know a hundred years after his death. It takes place in 1961, and he does predict things like submarines and airplanes and television. He also says we're going to walk around in metal clothing. But mankind has pretty much destroyed the environment—not uh, global warming in this case, but freezing—and so this kid, who's 16, graduates with his degree in classics. You know, everybody finds that everybody's rejecting the, you know, the classics and literature, and basically, he gets so depressed that he sets out in a storm and he dies. Uh, Freezes to death in Paris. And that shows you sort of Jules Verne not being bridled by Hetzel. And so I know that in this battle, you know, Hetzel's either a a devil or, or an angel. I think that his interference was much for the best. Now, real quickly, I've got just a few minutes before I finish up here, but uh, one thing I wanted to share was, I did say that Michelle and Jules had a tumultuous relationship, uh, until the elder Verne gets shot in the leg by Gaston. And ironically, this brings the two together. and. They become extremely close, something that they didn't have since Michelle became a teenager. In fact, Michelle becomes Verne, Jules, father's writing partner. Now, Jules Verne dies in 1895, but we're going to get new Jules Verne stories for the next 30 years. And was well we found one, we're publishing it. But the more and more we explore this, they probably were based on Jules Verne's ideas, at least partly, you know, written by him, but they were at least finished and rewritten by Michelle. Which, you know, I would've liked it more if it said Jules and Michelle Verne. But the truth is, Michelle's not a bad writer. He's Maybe not the genius his father was, but he wasn't bad, and so they include you know, some of my favorite Verne stories, like the, you know, the Lighthouse at the End of the World. Well, that is pretty much it. Um, there are the secret lives of Jules Verne, and hopefully you enjoyed it, maybe know a little bit about him, a little bit more about him, that you can enjoy his work more. Uh, My name is David Heath, and I will see you, hopefully, at my blog and my uh, podcast.
0: Thanks again, David. And you can check David out at Dave's Corner of the Universe and Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. Links in the show notes. All right. Up next, we have Ken Haidt talking about Nephren I hope I said that right, Ken. Okay. And also, Ken Heights, uh, Kickstarter, extender, whatever that guy's calling it. Uh, Link to that in the show notes. And I'm working on this as fast as I can. I'll try and get this up by Saturday afternoon. Right now it's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on the dot. Okay. Uh, Here we go. Ken Heights. Welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. Today we have guest Ken Height talking about Jules Verne. And also I was going to let Ken talk about a current Kickstarter that he has going on. Ken, how's it going?
2: It's good. Good. Uh, Everything's going good. Um, It's not so much a current Kickstarter as a chance for people to jump on the tail of a... An already done Kickstarter. Oh, okay. uh, it's for Tour to Lovecraft the Destinations, which is the second book in my Tour to Lovecraft series after The Tales. Nice. Uh, this Kickstarter expanded the Tales and wrote The Destinations. The books are done. Uh, we have got the uh, back end opened up uh, for people who want to join the Kickstarter late. Uh, And get uh, a discounted price and get the early shipping just as though you were a Kickstarter backer. Go to AtomicOvermind.com and look for the uh, thing. If you're listening to this now in February 2020, it's going to be closed by the end of the month. So uh, jump right on that. 500 pages of my goodness, if that's what you want. The uh, Tour to Lovecraft, uh, The Destinations is about 300 pages. The new Expanded Tales is closer to 225. So lots of good fun uh, on Lovecraft and his writings.
0: All right, that sounds that sounds really good.
2: I'm gonna have to get on that. You should. You should. D. <laughs> I'm frankly a little a little shocked and insulted that you weren't already on that.
0: Well, I always expect that people are just gonna give me things and. <laughs> yeah.
2: how, how does that work out for you? Works out really good. <laughs> does it really? That's odd.
0: People people are like, "Hey there, handsome. Have a book." And I'm like, "All right." Nice. <laughs> People know I have a podcast, so I get free things.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a podcast. I, I don't get that many free books. Huh. Although, if you're listening, people, give me free books. <laughs> Apparently, it works. What's What, what, what can we say about Jules Verne, except you probably already read him, at least thought you read him as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's read uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Probably everyone's read Around the World in 80 Days. Maybe Journey to the Center of the Earth or Earth to Moon. Sure. Other great ones. But, of course, he wrote... I don't even know, like, 50 books, a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and uh, his works uh, include sort of the the sort of the fun uh, voyages extraordinaires that he talked about. Some of them are a little more political. Um, uh, there's a story that combines those two, where a um, a meteor made of gold Ooh. hits the uh, North Pole, and people have to chase after it. And a lot of it is the discussion of what happens if all that gold gets into the economy? Is that gonna be a good thing or a bad thing? Huh. And there's a lot of, of deep stuff in Vern. And one of the interesting things that you find when you look into Vern is that a lot of the translations that we read mm-hmm. uh, as kids were based on the English translations from you know, from the time that came out okay. in the eighteen seventies and eighteen eighties. Sure. And the English translations, meaning by English people. Uh, changed the politics. Sometimes the publishers would come across a section in Verne where he's going off on what a bunch of jerks the British are, and they would say, <laughs> uh, leave that out. And so the um, uh, the, the process by which Verne gets a little bit bowdlerized, some of his rough edges are sawn off mm-hmm. uh, for the English-speaking audience, it's sort of invisible to us as, as Americans because we barely understand any of it. Yeah. And we're just reading it for the cool airships. <laughs> yes. But if you can find, by and large, if you're reading Verne seriously, uh, make the effort and find a later translation, uh, the latest one you can find, because okay. those will be Verne's actual words, not the words of his, uh, s- sniffy English publisher. Hmm. And so, uh, for example, the Naval Institute press has a new edition of, uh, Twenty thousand leagues under the sea—that is very good. And there's other, there's other um, later um, uh, uh, critical translations of Verne that are uh, that are that are better. And you need to start, you know, digging through and finding them. The downside, of course, is that all the public domain ones that you can get for free on Kindle uh-huh. are—they're the old translations yeah. because they're free on Kindle. So. Uh, Verne is a, is a great, I mean, he's it, it's still good It's not like they made the stories worse It's uh-huh. just that they're less pure Verne So if you're looking uh, to, to sort of get the, the, the good hit You want to find the actual Verne stuff To the extent that you can
0: All right Cool So who is, or who was Jules Verne? Like, French,
2: I know that <laughs> All right, that's a good start I mean, he, um, uh, he's basically, he's, uh, he's French, as you say, he's mm-hmm. born, uh, near Nantes, uh, or I, I guess technically in Nantes, um, uh, on an island in the Loire River, even, okay. uh, in 1828, uh, he's, uh, basically brought up in sort of a, a, a naval family. His, his, uh, father is an attorney, but his mother was, uh, in a ship family. He was taught by, uh, people in, in shipping Nantes, of course, is a, is a big seaport. So it's all about, um, uh, 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 adventures and, and sailing to far off distances. Mm-hmm. He, um, uh, was very good at geography when he was a kid and, uh, learned a bunch of that. He, uh, goes into, uh, basically just in order to get good schooling, you would go to uh, religious school. So mm-hmm. he goes into the seminary, but he's not going to become a priest necessarily. All right. Um, And he starts writing novels, and then um, uh, goes to, uh, uh, I think, law school, and while in law school, keeps writing novels. He doesn't want to do law, it's boring and stupid. Um, uh, He had to take his exams in Paris, um, and then he uh, finishes uh, during the revolution, the 1848 French Revolution, which throws everything, into craziness. Um, He uh, has a, uh, uh, society's upended, so a provincial nobody from Nantes gets to meet everybody. So he gets to meet Alexander Dumas. Mm -hmm. Um, He gets to meet other people um, that he would not have ordinarily got to meet. And uh, some of those included, for example, stage directors and uh, people who worked in the theater in Paris. And so they said, you you can write, write us some plays. And so he started writing plays um, uh, and then, he started writing, uh, He continued to try and write short stories and then finally meets uh, a publisher named uh, Pierre-Jules Hetzel. Mm-hmm. And Hetzel is the guy who likes uh, Voyage in a Balloon, um, which is the name of his first uh, book, which became Five Weeks in a Balloon. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a big uh, deal. And um, uh, Hetzel uh, keeps sort of pushing Verne to write more and more stuff. Hetzel provides the first serialization of his novels. Uh, They they practically become partners for Mm -hmm. a while. Uh, Then they have a fight over whether or not Captain Nemo should be uh, Polish. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And Hetzel doesn't (laughs) want to uh, lose sales in Russia. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, 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 Vern has to change uh, Nemo from Polish to we don't know what he is. And then, of course, later on in um, uh, Mysterious Island, it's revealed that he's uh, from India mm-hmm. and hates the hated British for that reason. Gotcha. Um, and so there's, um, but but obviously, Vern knows a good publisher when he sees him. He just stops taking notes, basically. And then his books get more and more and more successful. Uh, and he, you know, he he buys a, a yacht and sails around in it. He has a um, uh, a, a, a number of kids and uh, dies basically. Uh, happy and rich and much beloved um uh, in uh 1905 at uh the age of 77 okay. so he, he's is the very model one would think of the uh successful bourgeois writer and certainly as French crit- uh, culture became more and more radical uh they sort of tried to read him out of the uh out of the um out of out of the ranks of of literature right that he was he was not uh, literary he was just popular okay and this uh notion that uh verne doesn't have anything to say to people comes out of sort of french snobs um the interesting thing being of course that because he is rejected by uh by society uh as an as a writer after the war mm-hmm. um the surrealists pick him up because of course he's full of crazy adventures and weird stuff overseas and they all love him. Mm-hmm. And so the, the super radical surrealists then are uh, putting him up as, as these, um, uh, as this great figure of French letters. And, and that sort of is the, is the war that's been going on in in French literary criticism uh, since forever. I mean, Jean Cocteau was a big uh, Jules Verne fan. Hmm. Um, uh, Antoine saint huix um Sartre, um, uh, um Lots uh, Bart uh, was the the very model of the sniffy uh, 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 literary critic to us, but at the time was a gigantic Jules Verne fan. (laughs) And so uh, all of these uh, people are finding things in Verne, and whether or not they find them legitimately or or illegitimately is almost irrelevant. Uh, Certainly, Bart would be the first person to say it was irrelevant. Uh, They have sort of, by force, kept Verne's literary reputation alive in France, which... Has somewhat kept it alive in America. Um, the uh, uh, the um, and like I say, w- Americans by and large don't even read the, the real Verne, mm-hmm. so they by and large don't um, uh, uh, don't know the real Verne. And then later on, uh, grappling with these French radical critics forces American and to a lesser extent British literary critics to reassess Verne himself. Hmm. So he's similar to Lovecraft in the way that he had one reputation that has basically been dragged into respectability by his sort of cult of superfans. It's just that instead of ST Joshi, you have Roland Bart and Jean-Paul Sartre and Jean Cocteau as your superfans so it has a somewhat bigger uh impact <laughs> yeah uh right um, and, and, but even now you can see people arguing about um is there occult symbolism hidden in vern did vern uh later in life he stopped really being a, a believing catholic uh which may have just been because he was rich and had a mistress or it may have been because he was uh changing his fundamental philosophies and then they look for occult uh, elements in Verne, and that's a big hobby of of the French occult movement. Hmm. Uh, in the same way that uh, that English language people look for occult stuff in Shakespeare yeah. and pretend that it's all uh, Francis Bacon's doing or uh-huh. whatever. And um, uh, and the uh, the notion that Verne is uh, writing political uh material, of course, has has grown as the value of politics in literature has been. Uh, Reassessed, and as people have discovered, oh, we have garbagey translations which were designed to take all the politics out. Interesting choice. So, in a way, that argument gained more salience just because of the ham handed censorship of his earlier works by his English translators.
0: Huh, huh. So, how would you say that Jules Verne has influenced modern sci fi? Or would you say that Jules Verne pretty much created modern
2: sci-fi as we see it? I mean, science fiction, like, um, uh, like Freddy Krueger has a lot of fathers. Yeah. Uh, and one mother, at least, Mary Shelley, who is the real person you should give credit to. Sure. But, but you have Verne, you have Wells, um, you have, uh, Hugo Gernsback to an extent Mm whose basic gets it for reprinting Verne and Wells a lot, um, uh. And, and so the, the question is, what is science fiction about? Okay. And that goes to the question of what is Verne about? And before 1965, when we realized that we had nothing but garbage translations, we thought Verne was just about an adventure, a technophilic adventure. And so a crazy guy builds an aerostat or a submarine or a land battleship or whatever, and we follow their adventures to a far-flung corner of the world. And that was what Verne was. And so if you thought science fiction is just about spaceships and maybe ray guns, then Vern, sure, why not? Uh, In his day, a a submarine um, with an unknown power source is just like a spaceship, so why not? Make him the father of science fiction. Mm -hmm. If you believe that science fiction is about bigger questions, um, like what is our role in the universe, Mm -hmm. then uh, H.G. Wells is maybe a, a, a better case because of course, in addition to all of his gadgets, Wells is asking questions about what is the nature of war, what is the nature of humanity, are we going to just be wiped out by aliens the way that we wipe out other uh, 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 people on our own planet? Um, and he's asking very large political philosophical questions in his books, and so maybe Wells is the true father and Vern is just a sidelight. Now that we're learning that Vern also had political ambitions and was writing uh, about bigger questions than just wouldn't it be cool to follow one line of latitude all the way around the world? Mm-hmm. We have, we, we sort of have to grapple with that. And the question is to what extent does Vern inspire modern science fiction beyond just the thrill of exploration and the and the literal sense of wonder mm-hmm. that uh, is sort of at the base of, of both of those uh, schools of SF remains sort of an open question. And individual authors will give you individual answers as to whether or not they... Uh, thought of Verne as a real, um, uh, as a real influence, but Verne is gigantically popular and everyone I think who has ever written, I think maybe even a novel, but certainly a science fiction novel in America mm-hmm. has read Jules Verne and probably has yeah. read a good amount of Jules Verne. Um, you know, earth to moon is it, it Verne does the math. He tries to figure out a way to shoot a guy to the moon with a cannon without turning him into sawdust. Um, uh-huh. uh, he, you can argue back and forth about whether his math is good, but <laughs> he at least puts the effort in. Sure. Um, if it's not hard SF all the way through, but it's certainly sort of hard SF, um, Vern seems to be a bigger inspiration in a way to um, uh, people like uh, Tsiolkovsky and Werner von Braun, who are like, well, the gun won't work, but what if a rocket? Yeah. Right. And um, uh, you know Yuri Gagarin apparently read Jules Verne as a kid, and so that's what made him want to be an astronaut. So, do you have a ton of of people saying um, uh, Verne is 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 my model? People don't even write fiction that way, much less write science fiction that way. Yeah. But are we sort of still about? what's on the other side of that nebula in the way that Vern is on what's on the other side of that island? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ray Bradbury says um, we're all the children of Vern, um, which is nice of Ray Bradbury to say. I think <laughs> some 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 people are good children of Jules Verne, some people are bad children of Jules Verne, and they never write and they never call.
0: What, <coughs> what would you say, uh, like, top three Jules Verne for Ken Height?
2: Oh my god. Um, top three for me First and foremost is always going to be the Mysterious Island, okay. which I read as a kid, and I just... First, I'd read 20,000 Leagues long ago, and okay. I loved 20,000 Leagues. I thought it was a terrific book. Um, it, it, and, but then to read Mysterious Island, which combined sort of the ultimate Robinsonade of people... Uh, on an island, trying to make their way by their American know-how alone, and then to discover that Captain Nemo shows up—spoiler—in uh, the middle of it, and the fact that, of course, if you do the math, he's 20 years older and dying during um, uh, uh, during uh, uh, the the events of Twenty Thousand Leagues, so the dates don't work. Okay. Uh, that is, is sort of a that that sort of blew my mind as a kid. So I've always loved. Um, loved, loved, loved Mysterious Island. It, it's certainly my favorite, Vern. And then for all the other ones, I'm a big fan of, I, I would have to say 20,000 leagues and Around the World in 80 Days are up there, but in in a way they're such total classics that it's hard to say, do I love them or do I love the image of them, mm-hmm. right? And when I love 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, how much of it is loving James Mason and that awesome Walt Disney Nautilus? Yeah. When I say I love um, uh, uh, Around the World in 80 Days, how much of that is me loving that and how much of me is loving Philip Jose Farmer's ridiculous uh, 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 science fiction craziness spin on it, um, uh, Other Log of Phileas Fogg, which I also read pretty young and fell in love with. And is you know it's a secret history of of a fiction which is very uh, Philip Jose Farmer certainly, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, I, I I love that stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Rober the Conqueror. I think Rober is is a good uh, is a good uh, character and his and his uh, aerostat is cooler I think than the Nautilus. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So if I'm picking, I like that one. And then the later Verns, part of them is that now that I know that there's they're, they're, they're bad translations I feel like a little bit of a, of a reluctance to read something like Clovis Dardentor which probably doesn't have a good American um, uh, a, 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 a good modern translation mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they you know they only have the, uh, the, the old ones and so, so that might be good uh, that that might be pretty terrific it's it's a straight- up um uh um uh story about i mean they don't go anywhere more exciting than algeria mm-hmm. but it's a it's a human interest story it's it's a straight- up novel and so i'd like to read that but do i want to read it as a um uh, in, in the same crummy translation i don't think so so i kind of am hoping that before i'm you know too much older some company will just Pay probably Brian Stableford to go through and uh, and re-release or or re-translate all of them. Um, uh, uh, there's a uh, there's a new translation, for example, the one that I talked to you about about the Golden Meteor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Chase of the Golden Meteor is the Verne title. It's been republished as the Meteor Hunt okay. by Bison Books, who does who, by the way are great. If you if you are interested in sort of old SF and old pulp writing bison books uh university of nebraska has a real interesting program where they bring a lot of stuff that you don't remember or never knew about into print so looking for that is good stuff anyway oh that's cool but um uh but they've done first of all they've done a they they did a replica edition of the old english translation but then they did their own translation in 2006 and that's what i'm talking about is in in a real minefield when you're hunting down uh jules verne that by the way is the is the one i talked about about the the golden meteor Mm -hmm. that that crashes into the earth and and may destroy the economy of the world yeah and and it's got a lot of neat stuff going on um so again it's hard to find one that that i can say that i really really like given the argument that i've maybe only read two jules verne's because i've only read two in modern translation now fair enough <laughs> but, but I, I don't care what I read. Mysterious Island I'm always gonna love. That's my favorite one. All right. All right.
0: Well, Ken, I think I'm gonna have to say adieu as the French say, uh, although my French is terrible. Because I'm having technical difficulties and I don't want to lose any more audio. <laughs>
2: All right. Um, uh, well, Jules Verne would know how to solve that. Oh, I know. Just get your, get your, your gun <laughs> cotton and a riveting gun and maybe a magnet, and you'd be fixed up and ready to <laughs> travel to a mysterious island that just appeared in a fog bank <laughs> off the coast of Washington sounds good well thank you again so much ken
0: and check the show notes if you want to check out what's going on with ken and what, what uh, the uh Lovecraftian... tour to lovecraft tour to lovecraft tour yeah the destinations Ooh, sounds awesome jules verne would have been all about that he would
2: have been all about the voyages extraordinaires oh yeah
0: all right well thank you so much ken oh thank you man everyone thanks again for listening and thanks again to david heath and ken height for contributing to this episode if you want to contribute monetarily you can go to paypal.me slash and donate some cash or you can go to pgttcm.com and click that patron button and become a patron but don't go to patreon we do have a patreon that we just don't use and that's kind of confusing, and I'm sorry to everyone who's has bit confused by that. I'm confused by that. It is not worth it for us to do Patreon, so we don't do it. And also, let's go into where you can find us. We are found on Stitcher. We are found on Apple Podcasts. We are found now on, oh, what's that one called? Uh, what's that one thing that everyone uses? Spotify. Spotify. And, of course, everywhere that there's a podcatcher... We're in that podcatcher. So thank you again. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. We are Black Clock Audio Tales, PGTTCM, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Also, Dave's Corner of the Universe. Check that out. Um, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. You can hear Ken Height talk about stuff more than me asking him awkward questions. And yeah, yeah. So thanks again for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. And up next, uh, the next story that we're going to have is that one, uh, it's, it's the sequel to what Ken was talking about when he was talking about, oh goodness, what was the name of that one? I think it's called Master of the World, which is the sequel to uh, Robor the Conqueror, but apparently enough background information is given that you can listen to it without having to listen to Robor the Conqueror first. Kind of like you don't have to see Star Wars to enjoy Empire Strikes Back. Bad analogy, but I hope you get it. And I hope you enjoy The Master of the World. And I don't know, wasn't there a movie about that? With, like, Vincent Price or something? I might be wrong. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you for listening, as I said, for the 1200th time.